Mac Power Users, Episode 42, Contacts and Calendars. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. I'm getting excited, David. Yes, Mac World is approaching. It's right around the corner. In fact, uh, I'm going to have to post the show a day early because I'm flying out uh, on Sunday to uh, go out to Macworld. So, uh, surprise, folks! You'll get this. You'll get this show. Maybe, hopefully, in time for you to listen to it on the way to Macworld. Great. So, um, I do want to do a, a quick note um, about the show. Uh, we've had some issues with iTunes not updating the show. Um, if you're subscribed to the show, you shouldn't notice anything. iTunes will download the podcast. But what happens is that once we update our RSS feed, the iTunes store, if you go into iTunes and search for our podcast, usually within 12 to 24 hours, updates and shows you that there's a new episode. Um, there is something going on with iTunes. Apple is aware of the bug, but it hasn't been regularly updating certain podcasts. And unfortunately ours was included. So there was about a week delay from the point in time that our last episode was updated. Um, unfortunately this is out of our control. We have no way to know when iTunes is going to update our show. And we apologize because we know that there are a good number of you listeners who don't subscribe to the show, you either download and pick and choose shows out of iTunes or you listen to them out of iTunes. And that's fine, but just keep in mind that we have no control over when iTunes uh, updates. But we do have a solution. We have a couple of solutions. So the first one is just subscribe. Because if you subscribe, it comes down as soon as we put it up. And whether or not uh, Apple gets it updated, you'll get it immediately. And you can delete it if it's one you don't want to listen to. Yeah, we won't be offended if you delete it, but we'd actually really like it if you would subscribe anyway, because that does help our numbers. Uh, The other thing that you can do is if you really don't want to subscribe uh, through iTunes, there are alternative methods of subscribing. You can subscribe via uh, just an RSS feed, uh, or there's even a link on our website where you can get an email notification. You can put in your email address, and it will just email you every time we post a new episode, so you can go get it that way. And then it's always posted on our website, so you can download it directly or listen to it there. Okay, and before we get into the substance of the show, we thought we'd talk a little bit about uh, the goings-on at Macworld Expo. That's right. We're going to be busy. Yeah, so this show comes out on Saturday, and the following Wednesday, uh, Macworld Expo starts up. So uh, Katie and I are going to be uh, we're going to be busy this year. So we're doing a couple things together. The first is we're going to do a session on the show floor, uh, Macworld Live Stage. Uh, it's going to be a show all about backup. So we're returning to backup, and we're going to cover that in detail on Thursday, January 27th at 12 p.m. on the main show floor of the Expo Hall. So you just need an Expo Pass and you can come watch the show. The other thing we're going to be doing is we're going to be meeting at the Smile booth, and that's going to be on Saturday at 2.30 p.m. Uh, And, David, I don't have that booth number in front of me for some reason. It's 2.46, I think. Okay. And, you know, we we skipped over something. If you come to the Mac Power Users Backup Show on the live show, we're going to have free stuff. Oh, yeah, we're that's gonna, right. We are going to have free stuff. We're going to be giving away stuff. We're going to have some fun trivia. Uh, some of the sponsors are going to give away software. So uh, if you're interested in that kind of stuff, make sure to come by. I think it's going to be a lot of fun doing that live show. But we're also going to be mean, at the Smile Booths where we can just you know chat with people and talk about Smile products and uh, and just be there. And then, Katie, you're doing a lot this year at Macworld as well. 
Yeah, I am. I'm doing my uh, going paperless presentation. That's going to be on Saturday, January 29th from 1030 to 1145. Uh, you do have to be a part of the users conference for that. Um, uh, but you can get a one day pass to the users conference if you only are going to be in the show uh, for a day. So I'm kind of excited that my show's on a Saturday because I hope that will up attendance. Uh, you're also doing a presentation on Saturday. Yeah. And also in the users conference, I'm going to do a session called synchronizing your Apple life. And I'm going to talk about how to make all your Apple stuff talk to each other and to PCs and Androids and Blackberries and all the other things. We're going to figure out how to turn you into a syncing pro. And that's January 29th from 1 p.m. to 2.15 in the user conference. And if you can't make it for the user's conference, we do have some other stuff going on. I'm giving a short preview version of my going paperless at the data robotics or the Drobo booth. That's at booth 433 that Friday before at 1030. And, and you're doing some cool stuff, too, that I'm going to be attending. Yeah, I'm going to do some stuff at the Omni booth. We're going to talk about uh, my, one session I'm going to do on Thursday, the 27th at 2.30. That's booth 910. I'm going to do a session called OmniFocus Ninja Tricks, and I'm going to go through all the power tips I use for OmniFocus. And I'm not going to spend much time at all on the basics. We're going to go deep into it, and uh, that's going to be fun. And then on Friday, the 28th at 11.30, also at booth 910, the Omni booth, I'm going to do a session called Omni Graffle for Mortals. And that's kind of the opposite. That's going to take Omni Graffle and show people who aren't really, you know, graphics pros how to make easy, quick graphics using Omni Graffle. And uh, then I'm going to also do, at some point, it hasn't been scheduled yet, I'm going to be at the Wiley booth to talk about the Mac at Workbook. And uh, that isn't in stone yet, but at some point that'll happen and just keep your eyes at the Mac Sparky and the Mac Power Users website. I'll update it when I know. Yeah, we'll get that all updated. So, all right. Well, enough about Macworld because we know not all of you are going, but um, we hope to see those of you who are going there. So uh, keep an eye out on the website and we'll update that. But uh, without further ado, let's talk about contacts and calendars. Yeah, this is a, a session that we talked about doing when we first came up with the idea for the show. And I don't know. It's been on the, the list forever. Yeah, I don't know how it took us this long to get around to it. But, you know, it's important. Everybody's got their address book and their calendars. And it used to be that you had them in a little book in the drawer. And uh, very quickly, uh, computers lent themselves to this technology. Uh, as we've gone through the years, we've got more and more devices. So it's become a little more difficult to make sure everything stays in sync. But there's a lot of good solutions on the Mac. So, we thought we'd break it down, and we're going to start out with address books. Yeah, I'm excited about this because I've always been one of those persons for, for years where I've had the day timer. You remember those old leather folio day timers where you'd have your address and your contacts and your calendars and all that other stuff? Oh, yeah. There? I was a big user and, of the um, of those for a long time. Yeah, and Franklin Covey had their own brands of those. And then, um, and then we upgraded, and we had the Palm. And I liked the Palm stuff for a while. And I think we – yeah, nothing ever quite fit my workflow. I think we're finally at the point where we have the tools now that we need that I found something that fits my life. Yeah, we always got by. When I, I used Franklin before Covey was part of it. it. Those are great, those Franklin planners. But you're right. Now that we've got these iPhones and these mobile devices, it's really easy to take for granted how easily it is to update contact information and have it – immediately shared everywhere throughout your technology. So I think the best way to start ad- the discussion of an address book is to stick with, you know, Apple's built-in address book that comes on every Mac. And it's pretty basic. You know, at, at first glance, there's there's not much to it, but it does have a lot of power behind it. And a lot of the power comes from the fact that it integrates so well with everything else on your Mac. And we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. But it does function just very much like a basic 
address book. Um, although it, it does have some nice organization features, specifically you can organize your addresses once you've plugged them in into groups, into smart groups. Now I have a lot of groups organized into my address book. I have groups for cases that I'm working on because I have my personal address book and I have my work address book that both come into address book. And we'll talk about that a little bit with the, the different uh, types of profiles that it will support. Um, and then I have uh, uh, groups for, for different events that I create mailing lists off of. I have my Christmas card groups. I have uh, my board of directors groups and all of these other groups. Um, but I must admit, I haven't used the smart groups feature a lot. I, I've used smart mailboxes and smart playlists, but I haven't really used smart groups in address book yeah, well, you- uh, until I read your book. Oh, good. Did that help? It did. All right. What part of it did you like about smart groups? Well, I really liked your upcoming birthdays idea. You want to talk about that? Yeah, it's a, I'll let you talk about yeah, it since a, it was it, yours. It's a smart group I made. It, when you form smart groups, it's just like when you're working in iTunes. When we talked about iTunes, we talked about smart playlists where you can set a series of variables. And one of them you can say is uh, make a group that has all contact with a birthday within the next 30 days. And then it auto- automatically populates that group with any contacts that you have a birthday that is in the next 30 days. It's really easy. And that's that's kind of an easy way to get into it. But I, I go deeper on the smart groups. Um, like you, I've got a lot of different responsibilities. And one thing I do is whenever I have a case, a legal case, for instance, um, I have contacts related to that. It's the opposing counsel, it's the judge, it's the clients, it's the witnesses, and all these different people. And a lot of times I like to hold on to those contacts because, believe it or not, people like that turn up in my life again maybe five years later. And I don't re- I remember the name, but I can't remember where they were. So I just keep them in the contacts database and what I do is in the notes section of contacts is I'll put the case name and what oh, their role nice. in the case is. And it's very easy to type that in as you're putting these contacts in. And then you can make a smart group that says, you know, notes includes Smith v. Jones. And then you can make a smart group that auto-populates with all the information concerning that case. And when you're done with the case, you just delete the smart group. But the contacts are still in there and you still kind of have that little index there. So uh, you can use, and you can always search by the case name if you ever need to kind of recreate that smart group on the fly, or if you it, know, hey, what was the attorney who I worked with in that case? You can always type in the case name, and and you'll probably be able to pick them out of the list, right? Exactly. But when when it's active, you I just create a smart group for it. Um, uh, then I use standard groups as well. And for instance, we're going to MacWorld. I'll have a MacWorld 2011 group that I built, and I'll just drag contacts in there. I don't code those in the notes section because like for instance you're in it and you know i don't you know i don't put macworld 2011 in your note on my contact database but certainly i'll want your phone number while we're up there so you know or the hotel or the club we're going to for dinner or whatever you know i put all that stuff in that one folder so you can make a group just for a short period of time and use it that way or you can use smart groups another thing about address book that i think a lot of people don't take advantage of is that notes field and a lot of times i'll put notes in there just if i speak with somebody about something you know i had to talk with my insurance people about something and i i put a little note in the contact and i know that's not always the perfect place to put that stuff but if it's temporary or you know that uh you're not going to see that often or you just need it once in a while that's as good a place as any and it's accessible on your iphone on your ipad on your mac and everything else I put all kinds of things in the note field, and among other things, I put people's Starbucks order in my note field. Oh, really? That's pretty smart. Um, because people remember that, and you know, for a long time, I was the rookie at work, and I was the the one who kind of did the Starbucks run for a while. 
And, um, you know, so I, I figured out what everybody liked at Starbucks or, or when I meet somebody new and when we have coffee, I'll just type, type a quick note in my iPhone. And then, you know, when you meet them again a year later at a conference and you say, Hey David, can I buy you, can I go get you a coffee? Or when I, I meet you at the hotel with, with your cup of coffee, you know, your favorite coffee drink in my hand in the morning, you're going to think, gosh, Katie, Katie remember, thought enough of me and our interaction to remember what kind of coffee I drink, and she got my Starbucks order right. That's a, that's yeah. a good idea. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, the other thing you can do, instead of using the notes field for customizing, is you can ask cust- add custom fields to your contact information. A lot of people open address book, and I think that's all they have. But if you're in address book, you can add fields. And you do that by, I guess I should have written this down beforehand, if you're in address book, you go to the card uh, menu item and click on that. I'm doing it as I speak here, so I. Get well, right. you can go. You can go up to card in, in the menu item, and you can say add field exactly. And, and then and they have a lot pre-populated that that aren't on the the normal template that you can add. And one that I use all the time um, are just um, you know related names, and those can be spouses or children or assistants or things like that. And I I usually fill those out for people too. You can also use the birthday field, which I think is good. Uh, so you can populate over to iCal, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, the nickname is a good one. The nickname is kind of fun if you use an iPhone. Because, because it will search by nickname as well. Yeah, and if you want to dial by voice command, you can use a nickname, which is fun. Especially if you've got you know chums that you have funny nicknames for. Well, and I use this a lot just simply for um, mom and dad. Ah, you know, I, I want my, my parents and my, you know, they're in my dress book with their formal names, but when I'm commanding my iPhone or when I'm searching my iPhone for something, usually I'm going to say or type in mom. Yeah. I could tell you some of the nicknames I use, but then we'd lose our clean tag. So, all right, let's not, let's not do that. You know, and so it's fun. So you can add, and you can also edit the template under that field. So if you always want birthdays to show up on the uh, address book template, you can just change and edit the template. Um, so we've got the uh, the address book, which is kind of basic. A lot of people make fun of it because it, it's not as uh, intense as some of the more uh, you know professional address book and contact management software applications. But that's kind of how Apple rolls. They like to make stuff kind of consumer friendly. But I have to admit, I've been able to use it in a professional uh, role very easily by just a little bit of tweaking with using the note field, using smart groups. And I find it sufficient for everything I do. And also, there's a an add-on for um, address book. If you really want to go nuts, you can spend the money and go ahead and buy a copy of Bento. And Bento mm-hmm. is also made by Apple, although they don't really say it. Um, Apple owns a company that, that publishes Bento. And Bento is a, a, a um, database program. And it, it accesses the address book data. And you can add checkboxes and more filters and everything. So you can go really nuts. If you want to supercharge address book, you can buy a copy of Bento. Now, do you use the little photo field in address book? All the time. All the time. I'm not very I, good at, at remembering names. Either. So uh, I like to, to use photos when I can, especially with professional organizations. You know, like the Bar Association, we've got a little book with all our pictures. And whenever I deal with someone, I just copy their picture from the web into the address book. And it really helps. And then, you know, mm, was that John or was that Jim or who was that? And- yeah, and, I, I use that all the and time. And the way to do that is you edit the contact and just take the picture and drag it on top of the little box. You don't need to do anything special. Very easy to do and set up. And then all of that will integrate through your Mac. For example, if you if you add their picture, their picture will pop up when they send you an email uh, in Apple Mail. Uh, if you add their instant message handle, 
uh, that will also show up if you add them as a buddy or, or uh, the ability to add them as a buddy in iChat. Yeah, and that's one of the nice things about uh, address books is it just synchronizes throughout the operating system. You know, it's an Apple product and it works everywhere. Uh, some of the other things you can do with an address book entry is it integrates with some of the Apple apps. For instance, uh, when you do a number spreadsheet, you could take a group, let's say if you your user group, your local Mac user group, and you put, have all the names in one folder – you could create a spreadsheet in numbers and put field names like name, address, phone number, email, and you could just drag that folder out of your address book on top of that spreadsheet field in numbers, and it would auto-populate it. And it's smart enough to say, okay, this field's called name, so I'll put the name here. This field's called email, so I'll put the emails here. It just it just works. You just drag it over. I did it during my session last year on numbers at Macworld, and everybody was blown away by that, which is really kind of basic and just built into the operating system. It can also be used for mail merging within pages. It can fill envelopes or, um, or um, uh, titles or letters or documents or whatever you want to do for the mail merge field in pages. And that's, that's pretty easy to set up. And you can also use it with email. You could drag a folder of names onto the email to or, or CC field, and it would auto-populate that with the uh, names from that folder, or you could drag individual names over there if you wanted. Uh, and you can also use data detectors, which I think are pretty awesome. Do you use data That's detectors? That's one of I use data detectors all the time because most of the time, especially in my professional setting, uh, whenever somebody emails me, usually they've got an email signature at the bottom of their email that you know has their name, their phone number, their fax number, their address, and and, and all of their contact information. Um, so if I if I just click an Apple Mail and I want to add them to my address book, I do that. But then as soon as I click on one of these data detector fields, I say, you know, add to an existing contract contact, it pulls all of their information into this existing contact. And I don't have to type in anything. It figures out this is their fax number, this is their phone number, this is their address. And without me typing a single letter, I've already got all of their contact information populated in address book. Yeah, and that's kind of gets back to when I was talking about earlier how it's easy for me to create smart groups of related names to cases. That's how I get most of that data. I don't stop and type it all in. I just grab it out of an email and save it. Uh, that being said, I think data detectors could use some work. A little bit. Uh, sometimes it doesn't get everything just right, um, and you just have to be aware of it. For instance, if someone, if John Smith sends you an email and inside they put the, the contact inter- information for Mary Jones, it's going to think that it might be John Smith that you're making right. a contact for. you got to check that. You do have to check. Um, the other thing that it does is it doesn't give you the ability to insert a company name uh, in the data detector field. And it makes me nuts. I sent a I sent a complaint to Apple about this because it seems like they give you all this other information, but they don't give you the ability to add a company name, which for me often is important. Uh, so the way I, I deal with it is I use the data detector. And if I'm not satisfied with everything in the data detector window... I'll go ahead and make the contact as best as I can, and then I'll just immediately open address book open it up. and make whatever changes I need, and if I'm going to copy it to a group. Uh, for instance, one of my, my groups is attorneys, and that's not a smart group. That's just a field called attorneys because you know I keep a list of all the attorneys I've bumped into, and I'll just drag it over if it's an attorney to that field at the time because if I do it later, I'll never remember to do it. So I just take the moment right then to stop and make those changes. Okay, uh, so Let's, you can uh, cover the integration. Uh, the other nice thing that Address Book gives you is the ability to easily sync across all your devices. And this is the magic sauce for Address Book with me. Uh, this is why I, I, I would never consider using another product 
you know, Microsoft, I'm, I'm not sure about the newest version of Outlook because I don't use it, but this was always a problem with Entourage, which is why I never used it. And, and address book just syncing was magical with address book with all of my other stuff. So it just worked. Well, a few years ago it was magical syncing across your Macs, you know, cause mobile me has supported that for a long time or me or dot Mac or, you know, whatever name you have it, it depends on which year you ask. But uh, they've really turned up the game with the syncing to the iOS devices wirelessly. If you have a mobile me account and you're at lunch and you change your phone number, by the time you you know put your phone back in your pocket, it's already changed on the mobile me server, which in turn changes it on all your computers, which I think right. is awesome. You know, it's essentially like a, a poor man's exchange network. Yeah. Uh, well, not too poor because it is ninety nine bucks a year, yeah, but. Yeah. That's true. It's a lot cheaper than exchange. Yeah. Um, but yeah, mobile, mobile me is the obvious solution. And this is, you know, I, I keep looking for reasons to cancel mobile me and go with one of these other services because, you know, if you look hard enough, you can replace most of the mobile me functionality with some of these other services, but I, you know, I just can't quite get there. So I do dutifully, you know, keep ponying up my money every, every year to renew. Uh, but the syncing features with address book between all of my Macs and all of my, uh, iOS devices, you know, it's just whatever. Take my money. It's very convenient. Um, if you don't want to deal with mobile me, though, you can also directly sync your iOS devices, your iPads, iPhones, iPod touches, uh, by just plugging them into iTunes. And in the info tab, when you're syncing, you can set uh, contacts or calendars to sync that way. Now, you remember back in the olden days, this was the only way to do it, yeah. back before mobile me had push. And I was quite satisfied with that. And now it's, gosh, I don't ever want to go back. Yeah, it, it is funny how you... Uh, you get a, used to something new, and you can't imagine not living without it. Yeah, the only thing is you do want to be careful because um, one of the most common culprits of having duplicates in your in your iPhone or in your address book uh, is if you've got these both set up to sync, if you've synced both with it plugged in and over the year. So watch out for that. Yeah. I think by default, if you put in your mobile me credentials and tell it to sync over the air, it, it unchecks the the local sync, but something to look out for. But you know, overall I have to say using the Apple devices, iOS, uh, I have had very little trouble with duplicate contacts. I used to, you know, the, when I first started dipping my toes in electronic contact management, that was a, a routine problem, you know, with the blackberries and the Palm pilots where just randomly it would seem like you'd have two or three copies of every contact. I, I don't really have that problem with my iPhone. You better go knock on some wood because I know I know many people who have. Yeah. So thankfully, I have not either. But I know it can be a problem, and I think it can also be a problem when you start turning on some of these other services that we're about to talk about. And sometimes things get out of sync, and and that's what turns it out of whack. Yeah, that's true. Um, one of my my favorite syncing services that if I was not using Mobile Me, this is without a doubt what I would use would be Google Sync um, because it is almost as good. Uh, and, and some would argue actually better uh, and almost a replacement for mobile me um, is the Google sync because Google, and we'll talk about these other services later uh, will allow you to sync, not just your contacts, but also calendars and Gmail. Uh, and also will, will include su- a push support too. Uh, and we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes with the instructions for step-by-step on how to set up Google sync. But um, you basically go in and pretend like you're setting up a, an exchange server um, on your iOS device, and you, you go in and put in your Google information instead. But when it comes to syncing up your contacts, it's really just a, a check mark in the preferences. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad idea to ditch mobile me for Google. 
uh, you know, it's free, so it's cheaper. Uh, I'm just not a big fan of the look of the Google sites, and I, I like some of the other stuff that MobileMe brings to the table, but that doesn't mean I'm right. Right. No, I, I agree. My my only concern with Google is there's there's really no support. If something goes wrong, I, I guess there's questionable support with MobileMe as well, though. Yeah. And MobileMe seems to run into problems quite often. I have noticed that. <laughs> I have noticed that. Been better though lately. I, I know when they first made the kind of the push out to do push mail and stuff, it was miserable. But uh, I haven't had any significant problems with MobileMe in some time. Although I got hit with that password thing uh, two or three months mm-hmm. ago, where it kept saying you need to update your password when I didn't. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, in addition to uh, using the Google Sync services, you could also use Yahoo Contacts. And both Google and Yahoo are supported in the native address book on your Mac. Uh, they can It can sync your data over to those services in the preference pane. Right. And uh, I, you know, I don't have much experience with Yahoo. I haven't used them for several years now. But you know, they were one of the first ones to kind of support push email on the, uh, on the iPhone back when nobody else did. Yeah, and they uh, Yahoo at least for for syncing contacts uh, uses the card dab standard, which which Apple address book will read. So it, it seems pretty seamless from what I've researched. Yeah. And then finally, uh, you can use Exchange, and that's kind of you know I think that's a smaller user base than than I originally thought. As I've written a book and talked to a lot of people, there's there's only people in big companies using Exchange. Even small companies don't really bother with it anymore, but. Well, I tell you, I wish our company didn't many days, yeah. um, and I think so does our tech support. Um, but we do. Um, my only saving grace is, is thankfully, we're using Exchange 2007, so it's really just a matter of entering a username and password, and and Snow Leopard picks it up and runs with it. So I've had no problem integrating Exchange, but I know you've had a world of hurt with your Exchange setup. Sort of, you know. And we covered this kind of at length. I think it was episode 28 about Windows working with Windows. Uh, but if you have Exchange 2000 or later, 2007 or later, uh, and you need to work with it, uh, just pay the 29 bucks and upgrade your Mac to Snow Leopard because it makes it dead simple to use Exchange. Uh, if your Exchange server is before 2007, and unfortunately... Pay to upgrade your Exchange server. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, depending on where you work, are you going to go to your, your you know corporate VP for technology and say you need to spend another, you know... God knows how much money because I might want to sync to my Mac. <laughs> you know, you may not be able to do that. Uh, in that case, switch to Google Docs. Yeah, in that case, there are some some problems. There are some workarounds, and we covered it kind of at length in a Windows show, so I don't want to go over it all again. But essentially, there are services out there where you create like an intermediary between your Mac and the Exchange 2003 server, and then you can sync that way. Um, the, what I've kind of resolved since we recorded that show is. Uh, you know, even though you have Exchange 2003, if it enables web syncing and does and has the right boxes checked, it's much easier to sync an iOS device with those older Exchange servers than it is a Mac. And so, what I've done is managed largely those calendars off my iPad, which it syncs with just fine. And I kind of avoid dealing with the stuff on my Mac, except I do have a copy of the email sent over using the Exchange IMAP setting. And that allows me to dump the emails into um, OmniFocus when necessary. So uh, that's probably a lot of information unrelated to address books, but since we're on the subject, I'll share. Right. Okay, so we talked about the Google Sync uh, service for MobileMe, but we haven't really talked about Google's contacts uh, solution. 
All right. So what it is, uh, Google has an online service. Uh, it's called Google Contacts. It's really kind of integrated into Gmail. And it's a online free service to manage all your contacts. Uh, it lacks the OS integration that we would get with address book. So it doesn't, you know, do all those neat tricks with numbers and pages that we talked about. Uh, but it works great with the Google apps. And if you're, you know, on the Google bandwagon, you're using the Google mail and you're using Google calendar, uh, by all means, you should be managing your contacts and Google contacts. Now you should at least be syncing up with it. Yeah, it's uh, syncing with it is dead simple. There's a bunch of apps for the iPhone and iPad that that interface directly with it, so you, it's you know you you get it remotely very easily, and it's cloud based, so you can access it on any computer. You know your your data is in the cloud. Um, uh, you know I'm still not a big fan of the Google lifestyle just because I don't like the way they read all the email and I don't like the the interface. It looks like it's designed by engineers. And, you know, so, and, and that's completely irrational. And I get emails from people all the time telling me how I need to you know, just suck it up and move over to Google, but I haven't got there yet. I, I could probably move over to Google, except I like my email address. Yeah. <laughs> you have a, uh, at Mac.com address. I do. Oh, okay. Well, for me, it really comes back down to the iOS integration. I just like the way everything works together. For so many years, I had technology that didn't talk nicely together. Now that I have the ability to do so, it's it's going to be really hard to get me to, to move away from that. But I tell you what, Apple, if you ever make me switch to using at me.com, I am gone. Really? Wow. Gone. That's kind of irrational, Katie, you know? It's just so pretentious. Yeah. Me.com. All right. No. Well, you know, Bye-bye. another good uh, web-based solution, I think, for contact management, and this is a little more intense than Google Contacts, is 37Signals high-rise. Uh, have you ever played with any of the 37Signals software, uh, Katie? I have not. Well, oh, you know, I think I've played with uh, Basecamp. Yeah, they've got a bunch of solutions for managing business. It's all web, cloud-based stuff, and it's it's really got a nice design. It's the best web design I think I've ever seen you know, 37 Signals is one of those companies that I want to use their products, but I've never really found a good reason to. Right. And it's not cheap. I think it starts at $24 a month, but it's a whole contact, you know, management system with lead tracking. It's, you know, web-based. So if you're running a company or you're a sales guy, uh, that stuff is great for you. And I would recommend taking a look at that if you're interested in something a little more intense. What about managing contacts on iOS apps? I don't really have a need to because I just use the Apple address book, but I know that there are some contact apps out there. Yeah, there's one I bought. It's called AB Contacts. It's $5 in the iTunes uh, app store. And this is on the phone, and it allows you to create smart groups on the fly on your phone. It's got a dialer, and it's got rule-based filtering. So it gives you some of the tools that you have on your phone that you don't have on your Mac. And, you know, one of the problems with the smart groups I didn't talk about earlier is you make them on the Mac, but they don't show up on your phone. Oh, that's true. And uh, that can become a problem. You know, I used to, uh, like, whenever I meet an attorney who I think is really good at some special area of law, I I write referral in notes and then with their area of specialty. And I was a smart group for that. And I was out and somebody asked me for referral to a specific type of attorney. And I looked at my phone and I realized, Oh wait, I don't know. <laughs> Cause I, <laughs> you know, I don't have that ability. I had to do a search. Uh, so that's kind of neat. If you want to, if you're finding that the, uh, the, the contacts application on your phone, on your iPad is not enough. 
I take a look at AB contacts. I haven't seen any others that really uh, match up to that. Although I know a lot of people like this dial Vetica, um, which allows you to easily find contacts to, to dial out. Uh, and that one I believe is $2. I'll put that in the show notes. Uh, but if someone is aware of a good contact management app on the phone or iPad, by all means, put it in the show notes or I'm sorry, put it in a, a comment. The, the comments. Show. Yeah. But AB contacts is the best one I've found. Um, well, I think that about wraps us up for uh, contacts, but we do have a lot more to talk about in terms of calendars. Uh, so let's take a quick break and uh, hear from our sponsor, Smile. Um, so, you know, David, I've been getting ready for my presentation on going paperless um, for Macworld, and I actually did a dry run this past week at my, my local Mac users group. Um, and, you know, of course, I was talking all about the Smile products like, you know, PDF Pen and PageSender, but what I didn't realize is how much I use Text Expander in my paperless workflow. Um, because I know you're a big fan of Hazel to reorganize files and folders, but a lot of times uh, as I'm scanning in documents into my computer, um, I've got text expander snippets that I will use uh, to fill in information about these particular documents, either with the current date or with little abbreviations about what these documents are. And then maybe that text expander snippet will then link to a Hazel rule, and then Hazel will do what it wants uh, with the text expand with the with the file from there. Um, so I guess I never really realized how much I rely on text expander as part of my paperless workflow, and how much I really rely on text expander. For everything I do, not only on my Mac, but also uh, on my iPad and my iPhone. And what I really love about Text Expander is that it's actively developed. I mean, you know, so there are several applications on the Mac that do what Text Expander does. You know, you type in a few letters, it reads that and immediately substitutes it for a predefined code. But they are always making it better with Text Expander. It keeps getting faster and keeps getting more features. You know, they also have a new feature where you can create a fill in blank when you're doing a text expander snippet. And so when the snippet triggers, it gives you a little box and says, okay, what do you want the, the date to be for this file? Or what do you want the name to be for this bill? Just a great application. Uh, you can get it at uh, smilesoftware.com. And they also uh, play nicely with PC versions of software. For example, I'm using Brevi on my PC at work and I'm syncing up my text expander snippets via Dropbox. So not only do I have my text expander snippets on my Mac, I have them on my iPhone, but I also have them on my PC at work. So it's great. Yeah, I'm It's the ultimate trifecta. Doing the same thing. I've got my billing codes in there, so when I'm typing in billing entries, I can do them on an e-computer. Great. So. Great solution. Smilesoftware.com slash text expander. All right, so let's talk about the calendaring solutions for the Mac. Okay, and once again, let's start with the basics, iCal. Okay, iCal comes with every Mac. It's built in. And uh, right off the bat, it will support multiple calendars, to-dos. And they just switched the formatting of iCal now, which I think has thrown some developers for a loop. You're talking about the CalDAV support? Correct. Yeah. So actually, Dave, what they've really done is they've brought sharing to everyone. Uh, with CalDAV. CalDAV is a calendaring standard, and I don't want to go too deep into this because I'll screw it up, but what it allows you to do is easily share calendar events, um, and it used to be that you had to buy extra software to do this, but now you can do it natively with your iCal application. And But before we get to that, iCal is kind of the calendaring program that everybody loves to hate. Um, yeah. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people that just don't like it, whereas AddressBook... 
Uh, it doesn't have all the features of, as a more robust contact management system. Most people can live with it. iCal is one of those apps where a lot of people can't live with it because uh, they just don't really, they just didn't go very far with some of the support, like, for instance, uh, recurring to-do items and some of the things like that. But it does. Well, we've got some solutions for that later. Okay, but it does have the basics. So you can put to-dos in it, you can have multiple calendars, and you can use CalDAV for sharing. And what CalDAV allows you to do is you can create an event and uh, you can share a calendar, you can share a specific event and under the invite field. So when you create a new event, in fact, we do that now for the Mac Power users. Uh, Katie and I share a calendar and we put all the show information and obligations on that calendar. And that was really something that we could not have done before Calendar. Yeah, we used to use a Google. Through using just iCal. Yeah, we used to use a shared Google Calendar and BusyCal. Now we don't need to do that. We can do it right through iCal. Right. Uh, and if you're in the family, that's one of the questions I get often is, you know, how do we share calendars in the family? Uh, now with CalDAV, you can do that straight in iTunes. I'm sorry, you can do it straight in iCal. Yeah. Uh, the problem with CalDAV, though, is is it has changed the way that things work. For example, I was noticing that I, I used to share uh, some of my OmniFocus tasks with iCal so that it would sync up certain tasks with iCal. And the reason for that is so that it would sync up certain tasks with iCal, so it would, iCal would sync up certain tasks with Exchange, so it would sync up certain tasks with Outlook on my PC. So I was kind of doing a round-the-bend sync with OmniFocus. Um, and unfortunately, you know, I, I did just see a, a note on their forums that's saying, you know, the CalDAV thing kind of threw us for a loop and, and we're working on it. Yeah, it's a, it's a um, new standard and it really changes the underlying architecture. So a lot of these app developers are, are catching up. Right. Uh, there are calendar subscriptions, which is kind of neat with iCal. And you can find a lot of them at apple.com slash calendars. But uh, what these are are just pre-built calendars that you can download and install. Uh, you can get it like for your favorite sports team or you can get it for holidays or, you know, there's just a, a bunch of different calendars out there. But you can also share your own calendars and send out a link for people to use. Yeah, there's also a, a nice service called iCalShare. So if, you, if you're if you a part of a, a group, like, for example, I created an iCalShare um, for our monthly Mac user group meetings. Um, you know, our, our meetings are pretty regular, but sometimes we have special events and sometimes they change. You know, so I created an iCal share and threw it out there that people can download and then just subscribe to the calendar and, and then they'll always have our meetings. And iCal share is a free service. Right. Yeah. So, uh, it also integrates with OS 10. Um, you know, but that birthday calendar that David was talking about that he uses, uh, the birthday calendar feature and address book, Anything that you put on the birthday calendar will also show up in your iCal as a birthday reminder. And to do that, you need to tick the box in the preferences pane of iCal. You have to enable that. You know, one of the other things I really like about iCal that seems to have gotten better are the data detector support within iCal and even uh, data detector support uh, you know, within the iPhone version as well. You know, So, for example, David, if you send me an email that says, how about we record tomorrow at 1030 – um, all I have to do is that tomorrow at 1030 is a link in my email. I click on it and it goes into my iCal and all of a sudden I've got a uh, an appointment preset with the subject of the email, which you're very good about naming, uh, set for tomorrow at 1030. All I have to do is tell it which calendar I want it on and I'm good to go. Now you can also do syncing with iCal uh, very easily like we were talking with address book. You can do it through mobile me and iTunes sync. It works exactly the same and is just as reliable. So uh, you can have your contact, so your calendar events show up on all your devices, and when you make adjustments on your phone, for instance, it immediately shows up on your Mac. 
Well, one of the other good things about switching to the CalDev service is that it allows iCal to integrate now with a lot of other services that it couldn't before. You know, before you had uh, iCal integrating kind of with, with its own sync services and with its own calendars that it could sync and share out. Um, but now it can do a whole lot more. It can now sync with services like MobileMe uh, and like Google Calendar. Um, it did have support for Exchange previously, uh, and it and it still does that. So we'll have a, a link in our show notes also with uh, instructions on on how to link up other calendars uh, that also use the CalDAV service. But it, it's pretty easy. I mean, if you just go into the preferences settings, um, uh, and and you go into accounts and you hit the little plus field. Uh, it, it asks you very simply, what kind of account do you have? Do you have a Google account? Do you have a Yahoo account? Uh, and you just type in an email address and password, kind of like you're setting up an email account, and it will it will guide you through the process of syncing up your calendars. Yeah, it's dead simple. Uh, Exchange is just like the uh, the discussion of the address book. If you're 2007 and Snow Leopard, you've got no worries. And if you're not both of those things, uh, it's a lot more difficult. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about some of the limitations of um, of iCal. And, and the first one maybe doesn't fall under the limitation category. I guess it is kind of a feature, but maybe it's a, a – a, a, I guess we'll put this under feature, but an awkwardly implemented feature, and, and that is time zone support. Um, I didn't put this in the outline, so I'm uh, sorry about that. Um, but one of the things I've noticed is, you know, I'm obviously out here on the East Coast, and David, you and I are – you know, you're on the West Coast – um, so I always have to to plan a little bit when we're when we're syncing up our shows. So iCal does have time zone support, and if you do turn, you, I think you have to turn it on. I don't think it's on by default under the advanced section. So whenever I and it will um, it will pop up a little an extra little um, line item in the information block that says, okay, what time zone is this in? Um, so if I send you an invitation that says we're going to record at one p.m. Um, but I specify Eastern time by the time it gets to you on your iCal, that will have automatically translated to 10 AM. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. But it does take the extra step Uh, of clicking that box. Right. And we talked earlier about a recurring to do's, which is a big deal for some people, you know, Uh, although I don't really use iCal for to do's. So I don't really feel that one as much as some people do. Well, I, I did a lot, but Bef- I, I still do for some things, um, for some basic, basic things. But uh, I've set I've set up a lot of people though with uh, with iCal to dos. You know, I've I've been setting my mom up uh, with a relatively new Mac and with a new iPhone and things like that. So I've got her set up through iCal with some basic to dos and some basic tasks, and and it's it's bugging me a lot for her. You know, just simple things like every Thursday take out the trash. Okay, you can't do that. Um, sharing used to be a limitation of iCal and it's not so much anymore now that they've adopted CalDAV, it's a lot easier to share calendars. And, um, you know, one of the things I noted is that it's a lot easier to set up the sharing from the me.com website. As opposed to setting up with an iCal? Yeah. 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 I would agree with that. In fact, and I need to check this. I think it's almost not possible to share an entire calendar from iCal. At least last time I checked. Um, well, if you click on it, if you if you right click on a calendar that you're not already sharing, um, you can say share calendar, and then you can specify the name, and you can say um, publish a read only calendar that's accessible to everyone. Or there's a checkbox that says um, only the people you invite. 
And if you share it with everybody, it's a read-only calendar. But if you select certain people to share it with, um, then they can actually edit it. And there's a uh, it then opens out a little another dialog box where you you can hit a plus sign, and you can start typing uh, the names and addresses of people. So if I start typing David. Um, again, with that integration with with address book, it pulls in everybody whose first name is David, and I can go down to your. I, I would assume I would I would select your your dot mac address, um, and give you either read and write access or read only access. Yes, that's right. So you, you so you right click on the calendar in iCal and click on sharing settings, and you're off to the races. One of the things that's that's a little different about iCal when you first set it up that that takes some planning is you really do have to set up different, you know, Apple calls them different calendars. You have to set up different calendars for different events in order to really make these things work the way you want it to. Um, I know by default, it just starts with a personal calendar and with a work calendar, but I don't really know that that's enough. Um, I think you need to have more calendars than that. For example, you know, if you've got a kid who plays soccer, I think Sally's soccer schedule probably needs to be a calendar in and of itself. Um, you know, I think, um, uh, you know, Peter's violin practice probably needs to be a calendar separate of itself. So you can specify exactly, you know, or, or maybe have a separate calendar for kids activities or things like that, because, you know, there are going to be certain things that you're going to want to share and certain things that you don't. Maybe you don't want to if you just create one broad personal calendar. You may not want to share everything on your personal calendar. Yeah, you know, I in our family, we've got, you know, two daughters. Uh, we have a calendar for each kid. And, you know, because I'm Max Barkey, you know, they're all wired into mobile me as well. So <laughs> they see him as well. But, you know, so each kid's activities are on that kid's calendar. And that works fine. Uh, I do keep two calendars. Actually, I keep three, really, for me. I have the the legal calendar, which is the work-related one, and that, that stems off an exchange server. And then we have the... And that really doesn't... That probably doesn't get shared with the family. No, they don't see that. And then I have my personal calendar, or, or one called David, and then I have one called Personal, uh, for some stuff that I just don't think needs to muck up everybody else's calendars. Uh, so I do have two for me on the personal level and I have a separate one for work, but I don't think I'd add a separate calendar for each. Yeah. That's probably too much. Kids do. That's probably too much, yeah. but maybe, maybe a separate calendar for kids events. But you know, another use for calendars, if you're going to use iCal to do's, um, I would recommend making calendars for separate projects. And then you can put the, even if there are no tasks, I'm sorry, even if there are no uh, events on those calendars, you can then split the to do list into the different projects. So if you've got a project to, you know, develop a website, you could make that a separate calendar. If you just want to see the to-do items related to that, you could just uh, deselect all the calendars except that one, then you'd see the to-do items related to that. Mm, now you're getting a little into your GTD stuff. Well, if, if you wanted to be able to filter, <laughs> that's a way. Because I, right. I, I don't really think iCal is a good solution for task management. We talked about it in the task management SmackDown show, so you can go back and listen to that. But if you have simple needs, and but you do want to be able to filter it at a basic level, that's one way to do it. Right. So let's talk about the um, the non-basic calendar. Yeah, and, and the best solution there is BusySync. It's a... Um, BusyCal. Yeah, I'm sorry. BusyCal, published by BusyMac.com. And uh, they, have, they have a product called BusySync, which was a, kind of a professional Google iCal syncing engine. 
which was their first big product in that category. And then they came out with BusyCal, which they call iCal Pro. And uh, It really is. It is. It adds a bunch of features to iCal. And it used to be... Uh, it used to really distinguish itself on the syncing element because it uses Bonjour to sync calendars. And I think in, in some ways it still is, does a better job at syncing calendars uh, locally in your home network than the other uh, iCal, CalDAV version does. Uh, and in some ways it really doesn't matter. Uh, but you can have multi-user editing, local syncing, and it has a, a really robust Google Calendar syncing function in it as well, where they show up in the left column on your busy Cal window. So you can see the Google calendars as, as opposed to creating new iCal calendars linked to Google calendars. You actually see the Google calendars right there. So for pricing, you can get uh, a busy Cal license for $50 for a single or for uh, $80. You can get a family pack of five. And with that, you know, you can set up your whole family. Um, but the developer is a good friend of the show. We see him at Macworld every year. He actually sent me some chocolate-covered um, uh, goodies for Christmas this year, David. Wow. Have you got You're good special. Stuff. I know. Um, but he did give the Mac Power users listeners a uh, 20% discount code uh, that's good from now through February 15th. Uh, so simply use Mac Power users in all capital letters with no spaces for a 20% discount. So thank you, John. We appreciate that. Yeah. So, so why do you use BusyCal? Because I, I do use BusyCal over iCal, and I think that in some ways it's it's got some more features that I just appreciate. And you know, it comes at a price, so it's a question you have to answer for yourself. It's it's more usable in my in my feelings. They have some built-in stuff like it puts the weather up on the top of the screen uh, for your local area code. You can add icons and and do other stuff to kind of give it more of a traditional calendar look. But to be honest, I turn all that stuff off except for the weather. I use the weather, and I kind of thought that was a little hoaxy at first, and I really am enjoying the weather, except right now. Yeah. Uh, one of the things it does that I really appreciate is it gives you a two-week view. I mean, just, you know, when you have the week view, it's not enough for me. I really need to see the next 14 days. The next seven for me usually aren't enough, so I end up spending all my time flipping back and forth. Uh, Busy Cal, you tick a box in the preferences, and you get two, a two-week view in the week view, which is really great. It has a list view. Uh, which is nice, you know, like you have on the uh, the iPad calendar. Uh, they have that on BusyCal built in, so you can get a list of all of your events. Um, it's a non-modal info window because the way they do it in iCal is kind of goofy. They used to mm-hmm. have that, then they I think they made it less useful when they changed that at iCal. Uh, BusyCal has that. Uh, it has recurring to-dos, which... Uh, I think that is worth the price of admission alone. Yeah, I mean, for a lot of people, that's a big deal. Um and, you know, they they just know calendars. Uh, the guys that are behind BusyCal uh, have been doing calendaring apps on the Mac for a long time. And it's under active development, so you get regular updates as opposed to iCal, where you get an update every time they update the, IO, the OS, essentially. And um, I just think they kind of run laps around the iCal team at Apple. So it's worth it to me. I bought it as soon as it came out. All right. And kind of on that... On that same note, I think they've really completed the circle here because just recently, I, I, I think you and I were both part of the beta on this, David, um, is they recently released a busy to-do app, which is um, quite frankly something that Apple should have had all along, but you could probably say that about a lot of the things that, that the busy Mac folks do. Um, but busy to-do is five bucks, and it's just a very simple, intuitive app for the iPhone uh, that puts your iCal to-dos on your iPhone. And it syncs. That's them. it. That's all it does. Yeah. It just works. Yeah, it's really nice. So 
if you're you using the iCal to do's and, and you've got an iOS device, check out Busy to Do. Yeah. It's just it's a it's a great way to complete that loop because for people who don't have great task management needs and just need to use something like iCal to to manage that kind of stuff, it really it really is nice to have those tasks on the iPhone. Exactly. I, I wish I had simple task management needs. Yeah. <laughs> there used to be a time when I did, but uh, so so I don't really see that one as well. I like I'm still an omni focused nerd, but it's great if you're using uh, iCal to dos, get uh, busy to do in your setup. And then there's busy sync, which I already talked about, which is basically the syncing function without the calendar. And at this point, I, I really wouldn't recommend that product. I think you should spend the extra. It's ten dollars cheaper than busy cal, but I think you just go ahead and get busy cal if you want to upgrade your uh, calendar service. Yeah, and they did a really nice thing when BusyCal came up. They uh, they did give you a, a nice upgrade path to their BusySync users, which I appreciated. Yeah, because I'd long been a BusySync user before I was BusyCal. Uh, the only criticism I have about BusyCal, and I've I've t- I talked to the developers about this at, at MacWorld, and they just kind of winked at me and they said we're aware of it, um, is that it doesn't work real well with my Exchange. Um, it will read the information from Exchange that comes into my iCal but it won't read information directly from my exchange service. Um, so I always end up having to open up iCal first to get it, that information updated and then open up BusyCal. So um, my, my hope is that that will get updated soon. And John said, well, I can write you a little script that will do that automatically in the background. I said, yes, please. Yeah, but they need to, you're right. They need to get that in. And I'm sure they're, I'm sure it's on the list. I think it's kind of interesting to see where iCal is heading. If you look at the changes with the Mac App Store and the general direction of Mac OS 10.7, I suspect that the new version of iCal and Address Book are going to look a lot like they do on our iPads. I think I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. And, you know, I don't think we mentioned this as much in the beginning, but one of the things that I think is so great about BusyCal is that it just works with everything that's part of your address book. That's part of your iPad. That's part of your iPhone. That's part of everything in the Apple ecosystem. It, it reads all of the information that's coming from those, those databases as well. Yeah. And and I guess that just to follow up on that point, uh, the way Apple did this is, is pretty smart. The, the contact and calendar databases are separate from iCal and AddressBook. It's it's a separate database on your Mac essentially, and iCal and AddressBook just just access that data and they can modify it as well. Uh, so that allows companies like BusyMac to come up with their own calendar that looks at the same data. So you could open up you could you could be using an iCal for a long time, and then you could try out BusyCal, and then you could decide you want to go back to iCal, and your data will be the same because it's always looking at that same data store. Yeah, there's and you can switch back and forth yeah. if you need to for whatever reason. Yeah. So if you want to get BusyCal, uh, you can download a free trial, and also you can get a twenty percent discount. But you got to act by February fifteenth, and the uh, the discount coupon is all caps Mac Power Users. And thanks BusyCal for uh, helping everybody out. Appreciate it. So let's talk about our integrated solutions. But before that, let's talk about uh, our next sponsor, One Password. Yeah, 1Password is the app that I just keep using and finding uses for everywhere. You know, there's really, we're talking about New Year's resolutions. Um, and I, I think Adam Christensen was saying that I, I try not to have resolutions, I try to have goals. And I guess that's that's probably a worthy thing. But I think one of the goals that you need to try to do this year is find ways to be 
more secure in your Mac because unfortunately security is becoming more and more of an issue and and the uh, data security and internet security is is where problems are going to be popping up more and more frequently. And you just, we can't afford to take our chances that it's going to happen to somebody else and it's not going to happen to us because we've seen uh, the things that have happened recently uh, that have just affected hundreds of thousands, if not millions of users. So it's it's time to take that New Year's resolution or that goal for 2011 uh, to become more secure in your passwords. There's no reason to be using the same password over and over again across multiple sites. Uh, and there's no reason to be using non-secure passwords when you have really great products out there like 1Password that will take care of this for you. And probably the biggest barrier to entry that I hear from people is, I just don't have time to spend days and days going through and updating and changing all of my passwords. Uh, but one of the beauties of 1Password is you don't have to do it all at once. You can do it on the fly as you go to a site or as you log in for the first time. Update your password. You can do it within one password. You can generate a random password, and one password will pop up and say, should I update your entry in one password for you? It's, it doesn't have to be hard or overwhelming. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's, it's 40 bucks on the Mac. They have, uh, you get a family license for $70 uh, five, for five users. They have an iOS hybrid version, which gives you both the iPad and iPhone for 15 or you can get one for either device for 10 bucks each. Uh, one password takes care of all of the problems for you. It's another one of these apps where the developer is very active and trying to make sure that they always have the best possible product. Once they get your money, uh, you are getting not just the app that's available then, but the you know the future app because they're always making it better. And one password is actively um, out there making sure it works with all the right browsers and all the right, right plugins. I think it's a great app, and I recommend it to every new Mac user I know. And frankly, every computer user I know, because now they have a PC version, because it allows you to finally make secure passwords that are easy to access and use on the web without uh, compromising your security. So uh, did you ever get your family set up? Yeah, I mean, we we had a, after New Year's, we had a big uh, one password party and I got everybody going on it. And Good deal. they're all believers. And you just Excellent. have to see how it works. You don't have to be a computer expert, you drop down the window and say, make me a secure password and it fills it in. And it says, do you want me to remember this next time you're here? And you click yes and you're done. And it's so much more secure than saving them in your browser. A lot of people were that, you know, my family, when we did this, they had a a file on their browser that had all of those passwords. And I said, anybody that gets access to your computer could get all those passwords. Whereas one password is a secure database. Much better. Check it out. It's really worth the money. If you haven't got there yet, and we've been talking about it for a long time, but I think 1Password is one of the best things you can do uh, with any new Mac. Yeah. All right. Uh, you know, when we were talking about calendars, we forgot to talk about Google Calendar. And uh, I don't know how I did that. But uh, So Google Calendar is the alternative to iCal, really. And it's the web-based solution. And just like we were talking about Google Contacts, it's kind of the same pluses and minuses. It's much better for sharing. Uh, it's multi-platform. So whether you're using Linux or PC or Mac, everybody can access it. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. Uh, but it's still got some of the same warts. You know, I, I think the UI is kind of a problem. Uh, it just looks to me old. Uh, but I think the trick with Google Cal, if you're a Google Cal user, and, and most of the power users at Google Cal will say the same thing, is you've got to embrace the keyboard. You've got to, you know, find your inner Yoda and just, you know, figure out all those keyboard shortcuts. Because I know some people that use Google Calendar and they just fly on it and they make iCal look really antiquated with the speed they can add 
events and share events and do all that on their calendar. Well, yeah. And the other thing you can do with Google Calendar is you can just use it as a backbone. I mean, you can use it as the as the web-based service, but you can also use it just the web-based service as a backbone uh, for all of your other stuff, to throw it into your iCal, to throw it into your busy Cal, and to sync it up with your iDevices. Yeah, and we talked about that on the Windows episode where I was using Google Calendar essentially to get calendar data from an antiquated Exchange server over to a Mac. And it was Google Calendar was like the, you know, the interpreter in between. Right. And it's free. So, you know, try it out. You may like it. And and because you can share and, and sync it with iCal, you can use both of them, really. Uh, Daniel wrote in, um, and he was talking about how much he likes Google Calendar because he gets it to work fine with his iOS devices. Um, and syncing calendars with multiple calendars is no, um, with multiple accounts is no problem. And uh, I, I totally appreciate that. I, I still need to, to figure out why I can't get into the Google apps because I know a lot of smart people really like them. Yeah, I, I probably could if I had started, you know, if I wasn't so into the Apple mobile me system. Yeah. I think that's part. I think it's, you know, in, and if I, if I were starting somebody off completely new, I would say take your pick, Apple or Google, whatever. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Um, I have a favorite iOS calendar too. And uh, I've been using it now for about three months on my iPhone. It's called Calvetica. It's okay. three bucks. And I really like it. Uh, it's a completely different look from the built-in calendar. Um, it's you know it's laid out very nice. The user interface is great. Um, it's minimalistic, but it's powerful, and it has a couple things that you don't get with a built-in calendar. For instance, multiple alarms. You know, I have this thing where, like, if I'm going to meet somebody, and depending on who I'm meeting and what the subject is, I need to prepare before the meeting because I'm just not that smart. I can't just like switch gears that fast. So I usually set an alarm for myself, uh, you know, 15 minutes or 30 minutes or two hours. I don't know. It just depends on what the meeting's about uh, beforehand. And then uh, then I get so into preparing for the meeting, I lose track of time as to when the meeting's going to start. <laughs> uh, and so using the, the usual calendar system, you can set one alarm. In Calvetic, you can set multiple. So I can always set one for five minutes before and 30 minutes before or whatever. And I think that's great. So I use that all the oh. time. Mm, I can actually set two alarms in both iCal and on my iPhone. Oh, can you? Mm-hmm. Well, then I never figured that out. But it's it's okay. dead simple on Calvetica. The other thing I like on Calvetica is you turn it on its side and it gives you a week view. You know the oh, that is nice. Yeah, and it's a nice looking week view. They've kind of gone through a few iterations of it as they've developed the software, but it's really nice now where you can get it like a bullet list or you can get the traditional block week view, which is my favorite. And you know it's another thing that's just it's actively developed. They're always pushing out updates, and it's just it's just getting more love and attention than the built-in calendar app on the iPhone is. So I'm a big fan of that one. Okay, but you know we got a comments section, so let us know. There's so many iOS calendar apps out there. I'm sure there's other ones that people like. Yeah. Uh, so we've talked about address books. We talked about calendars. Uh, I thought we'd talk a little bit about some of the integrated solutions. Uh, on the Mac where you can do both at one time. And the biggest one is of course, Outlook, which is the new solution from Microsoft. Uh, You know, Microsoft used Entourage on the Mac for a long time. And we've talked about it on other episodes. I am just not a fan of Entourage. I mean, they, they had some nice user interface stuff in there and they had some nice, and it was nice the way everything worked together because Entourage would give you your address book, your contacts, your email all in one application but Entourage always had that problem where 
This was one big database, and if you had one little corruption, the whole thing got lost, and you could wake up one day and find your address book, your email, and your contacts gone. So, And it happened so many times to people that I know. Yeah, so I was always kind of – I would not recommend it. But Outlook has really made a, a big step forward. It's Outlook, you know, it's much more similar to Outlook on the PC. So if you're a big Outlook user and you feel comfortable and warm and fuzzy using Outlook, now you can get it on your Mac. It's part of the new Office 2011 package, and I think the the least you're going to spend to get in the door is 200 bucks. Um, but it's it's much better than Entourage. It's a better UI even than Entourage, and it's no longer an accident waiting to happen. So. Uh, that's a good solution. If you use Outlook with Exchange, uh, you know it's the best Exchange integration of anything on the Mac. But like uh, everything else, if you've got a 2003 Exchange server, it still doesn't really work that well. So you still need to have a more recent Exchange server. But Outlook is a definite option for an integrated solution. And there's yeah, the other option is Daylight, yeah. which I've I've used. Um, not personally, but I, I do some consulting work, and, and one of the folks that I consult with uses Daylight uh, extensively. Um, and it's it's kind of a love-hate relationship with them, but uh, some people absolutely love Daylight, and they've got their entire workflow. And, and you can really do some very powerful things with Daylight because it will integrate with Office um, and with, with uh, even with Apple Mail to some degree, and, and it will sync with some of the Apple services also. Um, and it's it's a very powerful solution Um with a lot more customization and a lot more tools built in than just the regular Apple, um, you know, iCal and contact solution. But it, it's really more designed um, for people who have small businesses or are running consulting businesses or the small office type setting. And I think it starts at about 190 bucks per user, right? Yeah. And it's a unique product on the Mac. I mean, you can run a whole office off daylight and it manages your calendars and your projects and your to do's and your contacts and everything. Uh, it's great, you know. If you have that need, it's definitely worth checking out. And they've done some really great stuff with iOS, um, where they've got applications for the iPad and the iPhone and iPod Touch that that bring that data over, so you've got it on the road. And completely unrelated to contacts and calendars, they also have a billing application that ties into it. So if you're thinking about running an office with it, it's likely you may want their billing solution too, and it all ties together. So it's it's a pretty neat solution. Um, they've got competition now from the web that they never had before. So it'll be interesting to see how it all develops. Mm-hmm. I thought it'd be fun to talk about, uh, you know, after we've gone through all this stuff, how do we do this? You know, how do we handle address books and calendars? Um, in my case, and I've kind of explained as we went through the show, I, I'm, I like address book. It does enough for me. And through the use of smart groups and using notes and adding in a couple extra fields, I've been able to make it work just fine for all of my needs for a pretty complex life. Although I do like Calvetica on my phone better than the built-in, you know, address book on the phone. I'm sorry, I mixed that up. Calvetica goes with the calendar. <laughs> I do like <laughs> AB contacts uh, sometimes for making smart groups on the fly. Uh, for calendaring, I use BusyCal uh, over iCal and, uh, you know, the two-week view and just some of those additional features uh, really, to me, were worth the investment to to up to BusyCal. So I use that, and then I use Calvetica on the on the iPhone. And the Exchange nonsense that I talked about in episode twenty nine has really kind of gone away in a lot of extent because of iOS's ability to talk to my antiquated Exchange server. So it's really not as much of a problem as it used to be in my life. How about you? 
You know, I'm, I'm pretty basic. I try to keep things as simple as possible. I use address book and iCal, uh, along with BusyCal. I, I do have to go through iCal initially to get that exchange update that we talked about. Um, and then I use BusyCal usually from then after just because of the advanced capabilities that it has. And then everything I have sync up through MobileMe. Um, I'm, I'm very big into the Apple ecosystem and, and MobileMe syncs everything happily for me. Um, but I do kind of like you acknowledge that, uh, that there are some very good things going on uh, in the Google space as well. So let's talk about our last sponsor, Omni Group. Omni, yeah. they make some of the best productivity software for the Mac, and they have embraced the Apple App Store uh, for the Mac. I, yeah, the Apple App Store is is really taking off. We've just seen some fantastic numbers in terms of downloads. And, um, you know, I'm still getting used to it a little bit. I keep kind of forgetting to go there to see see what's available. But Omni's got all of their flagship apps available in the App Store. They've got OmniFocus for Mac, OmniGraffle Pro, OmniGraffle, OmniPlan, OmniOutliner Pro, OmniOutliner, and OmniGraph Sketcher are all available in the Mac App Store. So once again, Omni is really reaffirming their commitment to the Mac uh, and and using and embracing the App Store as a distribution model for their apps. Uh, but they've also said that they are going to continue to con- uh, dis- uh, distribute uh, apps as well through their website and through their other distribution methods. So, you know, have no fear. They're not going anywhere. If you've, if you've bought their apps uh, through another method, they are going to continue to update. Uh, they just want to get their stuff in the hands of as many people as possible. And, I, you know, I don't blame them. They've got some great stuff out there. And you can still go to their website and download free trials. Uh, uh, OmniFocus continues to be a, a very important app in my life. I just did a post on it this week at Max Barkey about how I'm using some of these Apple scripts to automate some of the uh, template projects. And I've received a bunch of emails from people saying, hey, when are you going to give us this OmniFocus screencast? And I'm going to commit now that I'm going to do it sometime in February. After I get back from Macworld, Catch my breath. I'm going to get that darn thing out. Maybe we'll even put it in this feed. We'll have to figure out where, where it fits. Sure. Yeah. But the uh, yeah, uh, Omni Group is a great supporter of the Mac, and I'm so pleased that they're supporting the podcast as well, and I just want to thank them for everything. All right. All right. We've got some feedback, but for some reason, we have a lot of people writing in saying, uh, we want Merlin. Yeah. It's starting to make me feel bad about myself, I have to say. I know. Seriously, people, do you not like us? What's going on with that? Talk to Merlin. He's in. Yeah, we're going to do a Merlin 2.0 uh, probably after Macworld sometime. So uh, since we did the show with him on the workflows, which was a very popular show, uh, he's got an iPad and I think he's, he's finishing his book. So we can hear all about that and, and more workflow goodness. We've also got some really interesting workflow guests lined up for 2011. So I'm really looking forward to sharing them with uh, with the listeners as we get there. Uh, they are not all Mac writers, so we're going to find some new ways to use your Mac. So that will be fun in 2011. Uh, I also got some emails saying, uh, asking me further questions about the book workflow that I used, and that maybe I didn't, you know, I think I might have gone through that too quickly when we did it on the podcast last time. So just to kind of summarize, you know, once I started writing the book, I would outline each chapter in Omni Outliner or um, iThoughts HD, and then what I would do is export an OPML file, which is what you can do on that system. And then you can import that OPML into Scrivener and it automatically lays everything out for you. And that's where I do all the writing. And then once I had the Scrivener file done, I would export that as an RTF file because that's how I was writing in Markdown. So I would go Markdown to RTF. And then finally, 
I would put it into Word, which is what the publisher wanted for all the proofreading and everything that happened after that. I'm, I'm going to do a post MX Sparky to, to give a better description, but there's a little more detail. Did that make sense yeah, at all, Katie? No, it yeah. definitely made sense. Yeah. And uh, the book is out now. In fact, I just uh, checked the shipment status. Mine is out for delivery. Awesome. So it should be here later today. Yeah. Nice. So. You want to talk about Michael? Yeah, let's let's talk about Michael. Michael uh, is going back to our um, uh, episode 40 where we talked about picking out the right Mac. And he said he just had one point to add. Uh, that might be helpful for our listeners, and that is that the 15-inch MacBook Pro on that model, Apple offers a high-res option. Um, and by default, it's a 1440 by 900 display that can be replaced with a 36% larger 1650 by 1050 display for only an extra 100 bucks. So if you're kind of waffling between the 15 and the 17-inch um, for an extra 100 bucks, the um, you know you can you can go with that higher-res option. So that might be something to look at. Yeah, um, Tim wrote in about he actually made a comment on the website and about an. But it was a good comment. Yeah, it yeah. was an old show when we were talking about networking. That's fine. And, uh, you can comment on the old shows. But the comment was so good, I decided I'm going to add it to the show notes. And you know, I had made a mention if you're if you're doing construction, you know, to use the most latest and greatest wiring, you know, to wire your house before they put drywall up. And he made a brilliant point. I don't know why I didn't think about it. He said, just put conduit. You know, conduits that empty uh, tubes that you can run cables through. So that seems so. Yeah. I mean, so so obvious. How come I didn't think of it? So That's what he's saying is, you uh, put conduit in your house, so then you can always have the latest and greatest cable. You just pull a new cable through the conduit when it's time to, to switch it over, and uh, that is really smart and makes me wonder why I didn't think of it sooner. So thanks, Tim. <laughs> yeah, good idea, Tim. Thank you. Uh, and then Jeremy wrote in with with kind of a question. I don't know if we're going to have the the answer that he wants. But he says, like you, I'm a big fan of 1Password. It's on my three Macs, my iPhone, and my iPad. However, the one problem is that I've not been able to solve is that I want to create a secure password for a mobile me and iTunes account and then store this in 1Password. The problem that I have with this is that I often have to manually type this password in on my iOS device when downloading from the App Store from the iTunes Store. If I use 1Password to generate a really secure password, then the resulting password is not one that I can remember. And even if I could, it would be a real pain to type it on the on-screen keyboard. Uh, so at the moment, I've resorted to a less secure, shorter, more memorable password. But I'm wondering if there's a better solution to the problem. Uh, well, we have two possible solutions. Um, one involves using 1Password and a really secure password, uh, which I would say is probably the better solution. Um, it's what I do. And it's a little bit of a pain, um, but if you're if you're using it on your Mac, you simply use the one password, you know, um, uh, drop down and, and you fill in the password. On your iOS device, you know, just double tap because I'm sure one password is in your frequently used items, or or go out and grab one password, and then copy the password out of one password and paste it in. Yeah, it's a lot easier now with multitasking and fast app switching. So you can go and grab the password and then paste it in on your iPhone or your iPod. Uh, I think that's the best solution. Another one is uh, rather than use a short memorable password, use a long memorable password. And, you know, you can use something like, a, you know, ask not what your country can do for you, but you can do for your country and then add a date to it or something. You know, something that's easy to remember, but it's long. And uh, that's another way to do it. But that takes quite a while to type all those characters in when you're on a mobile. Yeah, that may be a pain on the iPad keyboard, yeah. too. Yeah. Okay, Katie, how can you contact us? 
Well, you can put this in your contacts. Uh, you can find us on our website at MacPowerUsers.com. And you can send us an email at feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. We also have a Google Voice account. That's 706-457-6937 or 706-45-POWER. And there's Twitter accounts. Uh, at MacPowerUsers is uh, the show's account. And then at Katie Floyd is Katie's and at Max Barkey is mine. We also have a Facebook account. You can link to that from our website, or you can find us at facebook.com slash MacPowerUsers. I'm feeling the draw of Facebook. Yeah, it's kind of fun. I, you know, we got, we got some good stuff cooking into our Facebook feed. We got some good feedback coming out that. I've got the Mac Sparky stuff link in there. I've got my blog stuff link in there. We've got the Mac Power User stuff link in there. So that's yet one more place you can comment and interact and find stuff. And we're doing more than just linking. We've got good stuff in there, too. Yeah, I kept reading of all the shenanigans that company was doing, and I canceled my account. And uh, between the Mac Power Users being there and my daughter joining Facebook, I'm thinking I probably... You've got to keep an eye on her. ...probably have to go back in. Did you cancel or did you deactivate? I deactivated. So. Okay, so you probably still have your friends. Okay, anyway, we also love iTunes comments. In fact... I can tell you I love them so much. Yesterday I had a bad day at work, and I hadn't checked us in iTunes for a while, and I stopped and read the comments, and it made me feel so good. It just set my day right. Good, and it probably made you feel better to see that we were actually showing up in iTunes. Yeah, that helps as well. <laughs> but, you know, Apple, you know, they, they were pretty good. We emailed them, and they, they took the time to make sure that our feed got updated. Hopefully they'll get that fixed. Yeah. So we appreciate that. Um, in the meantime, thank you once again to our sponsors, uh, Smile Software, One Password, and the Omni Group. We look forward to seeing them and all of you at MacWorld. Uh, and up next, what are we doing, Dave? We're going back to backup. Back to backup. It's, 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 some of the technologies have changed since we covered it the first time, so it's time for an update. And it's going to be a live show on the MacWorld floor, so that's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have some giveaways, some trivia uh, so the people in attendance will have a good time and the folks home listening will also enjoy it. So I'm looking forward yeah, to Yeah, and don't worry if, if you're at home and you're not going to Macworld and, and thinking like this is this is not going to be uh, a show for you to listen to. It it will be fine. We'll we'll do it in the regular Mac Power users. You'll you'll still get great content out of it. You know, you may get some background noise and it's gonna be a little different setting because it'll be a live show, but it it's still gonna be, I promise you, a worthwhile listen. All right, Katie, I'll see you in San Francisco next week. I will see you next week, David. Take care.